you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And our brother Richard and Jay Macron on tap. No, no, no. It's T. It's 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 T. Youngblood. No, I forget Robert. what nickname. Yes. Is it is it Robert? Yes. So it's, but I but I gave him a cool nickname. Oh. No. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> the nickname. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I think it's just Youngblood. Which well, that, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, look, okay. it's that it's, works. It's a, Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Doc. Um, he's like, that come works. on, why? What? Really? <laughs> it's because it's so rare. Um, but anyways, all right. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I appreciate everybody who tunes in on a regular basis mm-hmm. to hear us talk about the issues of the day and um, and to try to make those issues in a way that is is thoughtful and intentionally aligned with Scripture or filtered, let me say, filtered through um, the right fear of God and the knowledge of his, of his holy word. That's what we do. We're trying to make sense of where we are mm-hmm. and the time that we're living in and, um, and be faithful to Christ, be faithful to Christ. And so today I want to talk about, um, well, the title of today's program is mm-hmm. Deja Vu. Deja Vu. I know. Um, <laughs> It's just so people might click it. Um, it's <laughs> because in, in a sense, it's it's kind of what we're going to talk about. You know, it's the French term. It literally means already seen. That's yep. it. It just means that it's we've all had this feeling where we're just I've like, been there um, before. <laughs> yeah, I felt like this happened. This you know, happened this before. happened um, yeah. just the other night. Uh, we were right. all sitting in the living room with the kids and, and mm. Mariah said, wait, oh, my goodness. She goes, I feel like. <laughs> did you, mom, have you done, did you know, and, and you we all know what that feels like. And we're trying to, um, figure out if we can remember it enough to say what then happens next. Right. And, but as soon as my experience is, as soon as you are aware that you're experiencing that feeling mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. then I can't, I don't, rem- I don't know it. it, it I yeah, can't I go never ahead can of it. Know what you know, now. right? I just remember, you know, it's just this the feeling happened. of what you've already seen. Yeah, right, I, right. I don't know what is going next. Anyway, so so we've all had that feeling. Many people have had that feeling. In fact, um, studies show that two thirds of people report having that feeling that they so had that? an experience. I know. I don't know. <laughs> like spiritually speaking, what is that? I don't. Oh man. <laughs> Can I just, may I say to you, I had the same question, you know, as I was preparing for today's program and I knew that I was going to going to title it deja vu. Um, there are just some questions that arise. First of yeah. all, is that freaky? Like, can you name a Christian? <laughs> can you title it deja vu? You know, are we going to get emails? People say, well, I think that's of the devil. So the first thing I wanted to do. <laughs> that's how they sound, get, too. They come to the always, email. I think. Uh, always. You named your program deja vu. Okay. That's demonic. Actually, it's French, and it just means already seen. That's it. And and I checked for you because I care. You know, there are times <laughs> right. that we know. <laughs> 
Right. We know terms. We know how we use those terms, but we don't often know the etymology of them. What, that is to say the history, like where do these words come from? How do we get them in our English vernacular? And and so so anyway, so deja vu <laughs> is one of those. Mm-hmm. I know it. I've used it. But right. I thought, you know, let me just in case this it. check because you know yeah. what I mean? Let me just <laughs> by chance you can make you may. anything a verb. <laughs> right. Let me just in case let it me, me, because, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. you know, after just in casing it, if I should find <laughs> that it actually does come from Baal, then we right. won't use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> A term that Molech French. used. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, oh, man. anyways, it just means already seen. Already and seen. I was thinking about this in, in light of an article that we didn't, we didn't get to, yeah. but I, I, I do want to get to today because the question that is raised that uh, theologian John Piper uh, responds to this question and uh, he posted a response to his website, Desiring God, uh, Desiring God website. And um, I was reading his response to a question that was raised about how the faithful Christian might navigate working, especially in um, the medical arena mm-hmm. as a nurse, as a doctor who might be in a situation where they are doing so-called gender transition surgeries or things like that. And this Person, and I'm going to read the article to you. I, I found the article on the Christian Post, um, and I thought it was is really interesting to to have this conversation again. But but the thing that really grabs me, and and the reason we're calling the show Deja Vu, is that this is not the first time Christians have wrestled with this type of question, mm-hmm. and we've already seen what it looks like for Christians to live with great peculiarity in a culture. And and one of the things that I was thinking about, again, as I was just trying to pause and think about these issues and think about why some of these things remain a point of great wrestling for us, one of the things I was thinking is that the the triumphant church, mm-hmm. and, and, and think about what we know, what we've read um, in scripture, think about some of us who have read a bit of church history, even just a little bit, you know, um, of church history. What we know is that a triumphant church, a triumphant church is a church that conforms to Christ and not culture. Mm -hmm. Now, let's think about that. Mm -hmm. Right. A triumphant church is a church that conforms to Christ and not culture. Mm -hmm. And this has been a a decision that the church has had to make in every generation of her existence. Will the church conform to Christ as her head or will the church conform to culture? And we have seen this repeatedly. You, you just read just a little bit of church history. You see the church struggling and trying to navigate this. But the success of the church, at least from my observation and what I've read, mm-hmm. the success of the church hinged overwhelmingly on her ability and indeed I would say her strong conviction that she must conform to Christ. That yes. that's where the church wins when she says, I must conform to Christ and not the culture. So, and this yeah. is something that you've talked about for a number of years, Will the Great, when you would despise pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Like you just I mean, there's so I mean, I remember there are just a few <laughs> years, there was a time period where you were just on pragmatic approaches to Christian living. Like, yeah. you know, how do we do this in a way like, you know, we got to get with the times and all right, of this. And I mean, right. you were just on it. It was, it was like, 
like an ingrown toenail or something. You just, it was bothering you. You know what I mean? But I mean, but I think that is something that we have to navigate. We have to say, how do we remain faithful and not try to do what's trendy, not try to do what is culturally normative or culturally expected. And Mm. so as I was sitting and thinking about this, Mm -hmm. there was one, one reason, and there may be others here, but there was one reason that came to my mind um, sort of as a reason why it's been difficult for us to recognize how we must be conformed to Christ and not culture. And I want to say this and, and, and be very generous. I know that there are some people who they're like, well, just, I mean, come on, we just automatically see it. We know it. And that may be true for quite a few Christians in America, but I think that there probably are more Christians in America who are having now and will have, unless we continue talking about this, a difficult time making a certain transition. And this Mm. is the transition in American culture. What we are moving from is seeing culture as the protagonist of Christian morality. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing culture now. and, and, And this is difficult because all of us, myself included, Um, Our grandparents, our great grandparents, like, I mean, you can go back quite a ways. And what would have been true and normative for most of us, I think is fair to say, is that we would have seen uh, we would have seen American culture as the friend of Christian morality, even sort of like being melted all into one. Mm. You know, we talk about this, the church in America growing up alongside one another. And um, and so. What that caused is it caused us to see the culture as the protagonist of Christian morality. So what has been difficult for us Christians living in America Mm -hmm. is to see culture as the antagonist of Mm. Christian morality, Mm. to see ourselves in conflict with our culture. Man, but you know, the the easy way to see that if, if, Man, it seems like it's, it's so simple uh-huh. as sticking to what the word of God says. Okay. Because okay. in every in every culture, in every time frame, every period, if if Christians uh, stick to what the word of God says about how we should engage culture and how culture should be seen by us and how, you know, in, in even the places where we live and dwell, how we are aliens in, in, in that land— like I, I think uh-huh. if we understood that and really embraced that, uh-huh. the Christians would never really change. You know, uh, no matter what time frame it is, like culture would yeah. change, different things. You know, people would, but the Christians, we would remain solid because we have the Word of God that we're standing yeah. on, no matter what culture yeah. we're living in. Man, that's such a great point. I, I think what we have done over the years, though, I, I think we let our guard down. Mm. And and I really think that if you if you go back to what would have been, I guess, like the catalyst here, what would have been the turning point? I think it would have been the rise of Christian dumb, like that, mm. that, you know, that Christianity could be this thing into which one is born, that Christianity could be this thing that is an earthly kingdom. Mm. You know what I mean? I think that gave a false sense of security in the culture itself. Like it it made us feel like, you know, um, we can make nice with culture. Culture eventually will be one to us and we'll all just kind of meld together and get along and go along. I I think that's, that's the thing that has made this super difficult, but I think you're so right that if we would have um, kind of played close to the word of God, 
um, we might not have found ourselves um, tucking arm in arm with a culture, mm. a secular culture, specifically right. speaking, right. a secular culture that is hostile to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't do that, though, because mm-hmm. we didn't do that. Right. Right. We are in a time where we're trying to figure out. And guys, you know, we're trying to figure out, well, just how much of it do we have to to shake off? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, th- that's the question uh, we're, we're asking. Like, well, how, well, just just how much of it is bad? You know, just mm. just how much of it can we can we not participate in and right. and I think from that position arise the question or the questions that are the one that John Piper was asked and all of the other ones like it because this question falls into the category of those who design the websites and those mm. who will bake the cakes and those who will arrange the flowers like right. these these are the questions that come from the heart of okay just how far can we go with this culture and trying to be in it? Mm-hmm. Like, where is the line that at the point we step over it, we've b- become of it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a faithful question. Yeah. That that question that we're asking is one of faithfulness because the root of it and the heart of it is how can I maintain my testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. How can I live as his instrument in whatever culture I'm placed in and do that faithfully. Right. That's, that's the question. So having said that and set that all up, and I know we're headed to break here in just a little bit. So I'll kind of get into the setup and then go into how we have seen this before, what it has looked like, and then what the opportunities are. Okay. Mm -hmm. On the other side of this question. Uh, So to this Christian post article um, title of it, John Piper, Christians who participate in body mutilating trans surgeries are normalizing evil. Mm. Okay, that's that'll (laughs) grab you as a headline. All right. Uh, Theologian John Piper has explained why Christian healthcare workers should not work in hospitals that perform body mutilating sex change surgeries, warning that doing so contradicts, quote, God's revealed will damages people and normalizes evil in the world. Hmm. On his Desiring God website, Piper, the chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota, addressed a question posed to him by a nurse who works in surgery pre-op and recovery for a hospital that performs so-called gender reassignment surgeries. Hmm. Mm. So let's let's pause here and grab this break. And on the other side, I'm going to pick up right here because the question is, well, if I'm not doing the surgeries and am, am, am I participating in this? Mm. You'll want to hear how uh, Dr. Piper responds. We'll take the break. We'll be right back. And if it's God that I'm after, I just can't serve to master. And before something happens, I gotta turn it all around because I know I can't just have my cake and eat it too. Cause it's real easy to stay on the fence and still do you. And it'd be cool if we could love the Lord and still go do our thing. But see, it doesn't work like that. You gotta be white or black. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Jonathan McReynolds. No gray. 
Um, we are talking about deja vu, how we have literally seen this before. And, and I guess maybe in or already seen, not literally seen, because literally actually does have a meaning. Okay, there's a different show that we could do on that. <laughs> already seen. What I mean by it today, and that we've already seen the time that we are in now, is that um, our, our church history records the challenges of following the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. And, I, and I'm so glad that we have a record of this. Like, I, I'm yeah. so grateful that we can read the Holy Scriptures and then we can also read those accounts post-Scripture, if you will, um, that tell us how Christians actually then took it and lived it out. Like, mm. So they took seriously the letters that they received. They took seriously those commands of Christ to them. They took that seriously. And so I think it's so important for us to recognize this moment that we're in, that it's not something that is new um, and it's not something that is strange. This is something that should have always been our expectation. And for all of the reasons that I listed in the first segment as to why this is jolting, just refer to that. And I'm going to pick up with where we left off so that I don't lose too much time. Um, this conversation, really, I wanted to kind of uh, revolve it around um, John Piper's response to a nurse who wrote in asking about her position mm-hmm. at a a clinic that performs gender reassignment surgeries. And she wrote in, and this is what she said. She said, quote, I play no role in the decisions made to undergo these surgeries. I believe the decision itself is sinful. The question I cannot resolve is this. Is it sinful for me to serve as a nurse involved in the care of these patients in the pre-op and recovery settings. Hmm. Now let's, let's just pause and think about that just for a little bit. I mean, I'm going to read to you John Piper's response. Yeah. I, I think it's thoughtful. I think it's measured. And I think it has the right weight that a Christian who wants to engage faithfully needs to feel. We, we need to feel the weightiness of our questions, right? Yeah. I, I'm okay. Um, But let's just individually just kind of pause and think about that. How would we, and and you want to think biblically, right? You Mm -hmm. want to think, how would we respond to a person who asks this question? Um, do Do we have an initial conviction from which we could draw a response? And, and even as we're thinking about this, I, so for me, um, I would think, okay, so we don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Like we, we don't want to have anything to do with those deeds, right? We, we want to expose that these deeds are wicked, that these deeds are indeed dark. Um, so that's, that's my, my first thought. Mm-hmm. But I recognize that people would say, okay, but I'm, I'm not participating in it. I'm not doing it. So I understand that it's, that it's going to be an ongoing conversation, a bit of a back and forth here. Okay. But I think it's so important. And one of the things that I want to see the body of Christ really grow in is our ability to stop and just think about it, but allow our responses to come through what we know from scripture. Mm -hmm. Even if you get pushback, even if people say, well, I disagree with that. Let your first shot at a response be from the place of being steeped in God's word. Like just my response here, you may disagree with me. You may think that I haven't thought about it enough. And that's that's fair pushback. But let your initial response not be your own strength mm-hmm. or your own wisdom or what you feel like makes you comfortable or what you did. I just don't like it. No, let's go a little bit deeper this year. Right. Like let's go to scripture or be so firmly rooted in scripture that the responses that we give are really motivated from the word of God. Yeah. So here is Piper's response. 
All right. He says, um, given what hospitals are for, there is a remarkable external behavioral overlap, like doing surgery on a short term goal, like making the patient comfortable between the Christ exalting love and the nurse. I'm sorry, between the Christ exalting love of the nurse and the man centered, unbelieving humanism of the other staff. So he's saying there's overlap between the the Christian operating faithfully and just the man centered humanism that is present in hospital care. In other words, you don't mm-hmm. have to be a Christian to do this. So he's saying there's some overlap, right? Mm-hmm. He goes on, he says, there's an overlap of external forms of virtue. Okay. And I think people are gelling here, but I just want to make sure that it's not lost in my communication. What Piper is saying here, there are times that what we do in the name of Christ pagans will do right. Because common overlap of virtue. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Okay. Does that make sense? What we do for the glory of God, what we do for Christ, there are times that people who have no fear of God in their eyes, they will do the same things because it's, it's a, a common grace, a common understanding that God has revealed his morality to man. God has revealed himself so much so that man is without excuse. Okay, back to this article. But sometimes, he said, the overlap between Christ-exalting faith rooted in Christian behavior and unbelieving behavior is lost. Okay. Sometimes that overlap is lost. For example, the hospital staff, instead of caring for old people now may euthanize them, kill them instead of caring for mothers and babies in crisis pregnancies, they may kill the children instead of helping men flourish as men and women flourish as women, they pursue the illusion of surgically and hormonally turning men into women and women into men, which can never even happen. In such cases, now this is where you lean in, in such cases, the skill and ministry of the Christian healthcare worker are no longer simply a bona fide participation in a common grace of healing done in the name of Jesus but instead used in a setting where the external manifestations of God's order are openly defied and where untold damage is being done to sometimes desperate people. Mm. Pause, just point of clarification. So what he's saying is there comes a time when we can no longer say we are just participating in this common grace of providing a healing for somebody or using our gifts mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus alongside pagans. We're not participating in their wickedness. We are faithfully following Jesus Christ, right? There comes a time where you can be in a setting where even your attempt to work in that setting, okay, is enabling these egregious manifestations of defiance against God. Bas- basically, that's what he is saying, right? Back to the article, which means that your participation becomes, against your will, a support for contradicting God's revealed will for damaging people and for bringing part of the ongoing normalization of evil in this hospital and in the world. Let me read that again to make sure that you understand, because there's several commas there. So it's a it's a series of things that you would be 
guilty of participating in, according to Piper here. I'm going to read it again. He says, which means that your participation becomes, and this is against your will, a support for contradicting God's revealed will, comma, for damaging people, comma, and for bringing part of the ongoing normalization of evil in this hospital and in the world. And then he says this. So I encourage you to seek the Lord earnestly for alternative ways to use your life giving abilities. Hmm. Now, in short, what he's saying is, uh, no, no, you shouldn't be there. No, you shouldn't be participating in that. And I think, look, hmm. this is difficult for us. This is difficult for so many Christians. This is the thing I think that is going to drive home the faithfulness question more than anything else, because not many of us own businesses. Mm -hmm. Far more of us are employed by other people than own businesses and have to face the choice of like, okay, how are we going to faithfully navigate this business? Many of us are subjected to the leadership and the business making or the decision making of those uh, uh, on top of us, right? So, so we kind of don't really think about the Baronel Studsman, the nibs and brush, you know, those, right. we, we don't, we don't think of them, you know, but this question actually kind of puts the navigation of this squarely in our court. So let me ask you, would this be equal, this example, because, because what this lady was speaking of was um, pre-op and recovery. That's what she did, right? Um, yes. And so would it would it be um, fair or equal to say in a different field, maybe you're a baker or you work at a bakery and there's a cake that um, uh, is going to be made for a so-called same-sex wedding. Mm -hmm. And you're not a baker. Mm -hmm. but you you're do a decorator. The, you do all the preparations on, mm -hmm. and all the, is that equal to say, you know, uh, to what this lady is communicating that she does at the hospital? Man, I think that's a great question because, and, and here's the thing, like, man, and I, you know, I know people are saying, man, you got to really split this down the middle and it's a hair, <laughs> but here's, here's, let me speak in terms of what I believe faithful conviction would call us to. Mm -hmm. So in this case, what you're saying is, let's say that the cake shop is not owned by a Christian. Right. And so that first line of defense is not yours. You don't have any protection there. They're just taking all the orders. Right. And there's an order that comes in where you are the cake decorator. Yeah. And now you've got to use your artistic ability to design and decorate a cake that has come to your desk because your boss has allowed it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've got to use that gift now to create a message that you strongly disagree with, that you find mm -hmm. um, offensive. Right. I think that in any other case, this would be clear. We would say, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And and in other circumstances, except that the God of sex has taken over our culture, we would understand this. Right. For example, if I worked at a bakery. Mm -hmm. Now, guys, please excuse me for using. I'll be careful here, but just so that you could understand a strong reference to make the point. If I worked at a bakery and a white clans rally was was in need of a cake and they wanted that cake to be decorated with you know um i hate black people but they didn't say black people right okay they use right okay right. <laughs> and and here i am i happen to be black okay 
Um, and and my my boss comes to me and says, hey, Meek, we just got this order and I need you to crank this cake out. And so I look at my ticket and I and I and I read it and I go, are you serious? You want you want me to write this sentiment and use my ability to express this message? You want me to do it? In fact, I think that that order would be rejected by a lot of bakeries. Right. I hope. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that order would be rejected by a lot of bakeries. Right. Okay. But if it perhaps were able to make its way past the first line of defense. Which might be a reason to quit in itself. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> the owner makes, he like, says, hey, hey make- they just want this cake. Let them have, you know, and, and, and look, okay, you know, everybody should be able to eat. Let them eat cake. Okay. Um, but here's my thing. My conviction would be, I'm not, right, again, not New Orleans that. for you. I'm not going <laughs> to express that. Yeah. You can ask the other cake maker. You mm-hmm. can ask the other decorator here that's employed here to do it. But, you know, I'm not going to use my talent and my ability to express that. That used to be respected in this country. It used to be a place that we would arrive at where we said, yeah, man, you can't compel people to express a sentiment that they disagree with. You can't compel people to use their their intellect or their their abilities to say things or Mm. to communicate things with which they vehemently disagree. Like that used to be very basic. A lot of things are not basic anymore. So now having said all of that, if I am in a situation where they're asking me to make ready a person to make ready a person mm. who is under a strong delusion Come on. that he is going to become a she or that she is going to become a he. If they're asking me to make ready a 16 year old, a 17 year old who is in pre-op for a double mastectomy and is not a cancer patient. Mm. I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't. Here's the thing. I can't go into the room and smile and tuck and take care of and, and bring warm blankets. I can't check vitals. I, I personally Mm -hmm. can't go into a room and do that. Knowing that this person is making a horrible mistake, this person is about to undergo a procedure that does nothing to remedy the true issue that this person is facing. Mm -hmm. My task here is to do no harm, and yet here I am making a person ready for harm. I cannot do it. Mm -hmm. It is just like the person you say, well, I'm not performing the abortion, but I will will drive my friend down to the clinic. No! Oh, I'll get the tools ready. I'll I work can't. at the. <laughs> Listen, and and so because I I I said deja vu, I said we've already seen this, yeah. and and my call is that the faithfulness of the Christian, we have seen this historically. Please yeah. understand, the faithfulness of the Christian, again, a triumphant church, conforming to Christ and not culture, mm-hmm. actually shifts the culture do you understand but it's gotta be it's gotta be done in a massive number of people like of christians when we as a church are faithful to christ the result and the effect is that we actually shift the culture this does not happen when we conform to the culture it is only 
our conforming to Christ that causes a culture to notice and be convicted by their utter rebellion and lack of Christ. Right. All right. From Church History, on the other side of this break, we'll pull a page out. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Today, uh, today's topic is deja vu. Not like what you might think. It's already been set up and explained and and, and thoroughly researched. I don't know about the thoroughly part, but you know, a little bit, a little bit researched. Um, I'm Miki, and I'm Will, and that's I see truth by uh, Cam. I, I, this, these situations like this, uh, to me, uh, it's another reason why we need to make sure that we're in local fellowship with believers. Yeah. Because yeah. these things are happening and we need yes, they are. to be, you know, uh, in each other's lives and knowing what's mm-hmm. going on and praying for one another for when these type of things arise to be able to pray. But also, you know, man, our brothers and sisters may need some help, like practical mm-hmm. help if they yes. lose their jobs and stuff like that That's because right. of what's what's going on. And so it's important that we are connected to the body of Christ and not just islands, you know, to ourselves, that mm-hmm. we really have a, a, a church, a local body a fellowship that we're a part of because mm. as things progress or, you know, regress, like we're mm-hmm. going to need each other more and more. That's an excellent point. You know, I think what we undervalue is the express commands in God's word that we're not to give up meeting together as is the habit of some this is Hebrews ten twenty five. I think we have neglected this so much that we don't think it's actually a command. Mm. We, we think it's just a suggestion. It's, it's a nicety that's contained in scripture, but we also, because we have neglected it, um, we don't recognize that this is for our benefit. The Lord has commanded this and it is also for our benefit. When we are on an Island alone, we feel like we're extra. Do you, you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like when, as you're reading God's word and you say, man, I want to live faithfully. I want to do this. And, and you run out with this zeal that you're just like, Lord, you know, convict me of those things that still are rivaling the holiness that I, that I, I want to live for you, Lord God. You, these are the prayers that we are praying out. And then we run, we run out into a world and, and, and you just like you hit someone who's just like, what are you doing? Right. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, you, you're, 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 you're on fire, so to speak. Excuse the expression, but you're, you know, and you run out, you know, and you're just like, oh my goodness, I've, I've rediscovered the text. And, and, and you're like, and I want to live this. I want to live this. And then you, you, you run dead into someone who's just like, bake the cake, <laughs> bake right. the cake, right. bake the cake, show Christ's love, bake the cake. Mm. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so what do we need? We need other people to surround us who have the same conviction yeah. that, and, and this is the conviction to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. To be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I said deja vu. I want to read to you. This is the the late Bruce Shelley's book, um, Church History in Plain Language, the fourth edition here. And uh, in this in this chapter where he's looking at what pretended the uh, persecution of Christians under imperial rule, I, I think it's so interesting here to look at the way Christians were navigating, okay, their time here and and trying to be faithful. And so again. We've already seen this, right? And the question is, do we as Christians conform to Christ 
or do we conform to culture? And this is not a question that is new. And so I want to read here. But but as I'm doing this, let me get the phone lines queued up so that we can get some feedback from you. How are you thinking or what are you thinking about what we're discussing today? 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840 to Bruce Shelley's book, Now We Go. The Christian fear of idolatry also led to difficulties in making a living. Lean in. A mason might be involved in building the walls of a heathen temple, a tailor and making robes for a heathen priest, an incense maker and making incense for the heathen sacrifices. Tertullian even forbade a Christian to be a school teacher because such teaching involved using textbooks that told the ancient stories of the gods and called for observing the religious festivals of the pagan year. Now, look, that is something that we take for granted, but understand our topic today. We've already seen this Mm. at a very minimum. We've already seen the wrestling and the discussion, but I'm going to continue on here to show you where the Christians actually ended up and how their faithfulness actually changed culture. It changed civilization. All right. So here we go. We might think that working with the sick would be a simple act of kindness, but even here, early Christians found the pagan hospitals under the protection of the heathen god Escalapius, Escalapius. Um, and while a sick friend lay in bed, the priest went down the aisle chanting to the god. Okay, so so the question is, can the Christian be participating in this? Again, back to church history. In short, The early Christian was almost bound to divorce himself from the social and economic life of his time if he wanted to be true to his Lord. This meant that everywhere the Christian turned, his life and faith were on display because the gospel introduced a revolutionary new attitude toward human life. Mm. Guys, why, why is this difficult? This is difficult for us. Because for far too long, the revolution hasn't been here, so to speak. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're all good around here. So like you're living, you're living a good life. I'm living a good life. We're moral. You're moral. So what's, what's the big deal? You go to church. I go to church. We're all good around here. (laughs) This is not the time that the early church found itself in. And indeed, let me tell you, it really was never, ever like the time. Okay. We just didn't see it. We just didn't see it because we thought the culture that we lived in, was positive. We thought it was, we thought it the protagonist of Christian morality. And, and part of that was its antagonism mm. to present itself as innocuous, as not harmful, as nothing to be afraid of. Just blend in and let's go along. Mm. We're all good around here. But indeed, the Lord, by his spirit, is stirring us, those who want to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to go through a little bit more of this and then we'll go to the phone lines. Okay. It could be seen in Christian views of slaves, children, and sex. And then he breaks each of these categories down um, that the way the Christian lived was revolutionary. Slavery ate like a canker in Roman society. The slave, whether male or female, was always at the disposal of his master for the most menial task. And if he failed to satisfy his owner, he could be discarded, even slaughtered like a worthless animal. In this kind of society, some Christians also held slaves but they treated them kindly and allowed them to have the same rights within the church as anyone else. (laughs) At least one former slave, Callistus, became the bishop of Rome. (laughs) The same value upon human life applied to infants. Unlike his pagan neighbor, 
The Christian refused to take his weak and unwanted children out in the woods and leave them to die or be picked up by robbers. If a Christian woman was married to a pagan and a girl baby was born, the father might say throw her out, but the mother would usually refuse. <laughs> Finally, naturally, this regard for life applied also to sex and marriage. In modern times, the church has often borne the brunt of criticism for its dated views of sex and the sanctity of marriage, but it is unlikely that such a charge would have been voiced in the decaying Roman Empire. Pagan society, through its excesses, teetered on the brink of racial extinction. Oh, if you had this book, I would hope that you would underline and highlight that line right there. Pagan society, through its excesses, teetered on the brink of racial extinction. Christianity, however, represented another way, a new way. The Pauline doctrine that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit introduced to the ancient world an uncompromising condemnation of unchastity and a sacred calling to family life. Mm. You might say that the gospel saved this civilization. And indeed, this is the same place that we find ourselves today. Hence, deja vu. We have an opportunity to be sort of a balm to our culture. We can play a healing role in our culture, but in order to do that, we've got to be distinct from it. Do you understand? You don't, you don't look for a healing balm among the diseased. You, you don't go there for the remedy to what is ailing, the ailing. No, you have to stand in distinction of that. Now, this is not to suggest that we do this from a place of disdain. Indeed, it would work against us to have that sentiment. We've got to stand where we stand on the side of Christ. And we've got to do what we do with a heart of love and compassion, even understanding ourselves. All right, let's try to squeeze in a few phone calls. Will the Great, um, what's the number? 888-589-8840. Where are we going? Uh, Gloria in North Carolina. Hi, Gloria. Hi. Hello. Go ahead. Um, I just totally support what she is saying. And our Constitution says this, in God we trust. Hmm. So. If the Constitution says that, why are we having all of this discussion? Our way of living is right in God's Word. So, therefore, you go to the Bible, you look up a word, and you can find Scripture to support that. Where have people gone astray from that? You know, they just choose not to go there. And I get it. I get it. But I'm on the streets here bringing people to Christ every day that I can, to his word, giving them Bibles when I can, when I can get them. But this woman had a powerful message this afternoon. I applaud you. God Thank bless you. you, Gloria. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, and indeed, this that became sort of the motto of the United States in God we trust. I, I think the thing that you're observing here is that our nation state or those things that were like a common thread that, that united all of us, a common understanding of what our values are in this country, 
um, those things have crumbled. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what you're picking up on here, sister, when you say, wait, what, what about a fear of God? What about a recognition that, you know, without God, we will fail? Like, where, where has that gone? You know, um, well, for the time being, it remains on our money, but it is not in our heart largely. Mm-hmm. It is not the conviction of our nation. And I think that's what you are observing. So until the people of God, right, who serve as his representatives in the earth, like the Lord has given us an incredible task. I think we have probably in many ways diminished uh, the importance of that task that we have as carriers of mm-hmm. the gospel, right? Um, we've got to remain faithful. Even if we live in a nation that no longer trusts God, we have to. Amen. And we have to show what that looks like. Gloria, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate you. Uh, Will the Great, where do we go next? Let's go to uh, Adam in Iowa. Hi, Adam. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great. Hello. Um, I, I'll try to make this quick. I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you guys, and, and I appreciate you guys fighting um, the good fight and, and making these tough stands and talking about these things. And on the other side of it, I just think we need to be careful because I'm, I'm reading this book about Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know his story. Yeah, the theologian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. And, and I think, no, we aren't to participate in evil. We are supposed to stand against it. And there are times where we have to walk away. But I believe sometimes the Lord, there are other times when he, he calls us to be near to some of those things so that we can speak truth into it, so that we mm-hmm. can, you know, be there to fight. And I'm not advocating that you're wrong because you're right. I think for this particular woman, when you started this program with that, she probably not, not needs to be there. But but there are times where the Lord wants us to be fighting that fight close to these things. And yes. so I, I don't know what I'm trying to say other than I don't think we the, always want to completely remove ourselves from those situations. And, no, and, I agree with you, Adam. Adam, I agree with you. I, I so appreciate your call. I think what you're trying to say here is that we have to have a measured approach to our Christian engagement. And and let me just be so grateful that you've called in because it gives me an opportunity to make sure that that is clearly understood. What I'm attempting to do here is localize the fight to one specific industry doing one specific thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I am not saying is that nurses everywhere, excuse the expression, take off your hats. I know we don't know. We, we don't any <laughs> longer have the hats. But, but you understand what I'm saying? What I am strongly suggesting here is that we must be faithful to the Lord's call to be peculiar. Right. And this has always been a fight that the church has endured. You're absolutely right. This is not a call for retreat. And I don't want anyone to hear me saying that I Naturally, okay, and I don't want to always play up the natural side of myself, but naturally I am a fighter. I am I I don't retreat. That's not a part of my natural makeup. So this I'm not even inclined in that way. Right. What I am saying, though, is that we must not be coerced even by those who would pull on our heartstrings to participate in evil. And we have to be close enough to God to know when that line is crossed. And so that's all I'm suggesting here. But your points are well made and and accepted as well. Thank you so much, Adam. Will the Great, let's try to squeeze in one more real quick. All right, Dennis in Texas. Hi, Dennis. How are you guys doing today? Good. God bless you. Well, anyway, real quickly, uh, first of all, I appreciate what you're doing so much. But what I wanted to make a point, uh, back to that uh, Vicky's point, uh, what has happened, yes, it still says in God we trust in our money, but in our hearts in America, it's love of money that has taken over. Mm. 
Oh, my goodness. What I hear coming from our brother Dennis, again, it really is self. It really is self. It's all of those things that cater and that play to the flesh. Man, you made such a great point. This is where we are. This is the battle that we find ourselves in, which is why the Lord Jesus Christ said that if anyone wishes to come after me, this is Luke 9, 23, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We're out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.